0: Hi, and welcome to Sleep Tight Relax. A short message for grown-ups. and long, dialogue-free sleep sounds. That's four sleep stories a week, plus our popular music and soundscape episodes. Please visit SleepTypePremium.com to subscribe, or follow the link in our show notes. Thank you. Hi, friends. This is Cheryl, and welcome to this episode of Sleep Tight Relax Sounds, Music, and Stories for Calming Busy Minds. In this episode, I am going to share Campfire Girls Part 6. The bazaar is happening and the radio tent is a huge hit. Jessie enjoys her time at the bazaar but ends the evening a bit unhappy. The next day when her father returns for dinner, they are discussing one of his cases when Bertha's name is brought up again. Let's start our sleep tight routine by making sure we have everything we need to be comfortable. The lights are turned down. There are no distractions, no notifications that will interrupt you. You have positioned your pillows or a teddy or your other little comforts. Everything should feel just right. Now that you are comfortable, close your eyes and take in a nice deep breath. Allow your tummy to fill up like a balloon and then exhale slowly. Do this five times to really relax your whole body completely. Your body begins to feel deeply relaxed and sinks down further and further into your nice, soft bed. Your legs begin to feel very heavy. Your arms begin to feel heavy and relax. your body a big stretch. As you listen to this episode's sleep story, enjoy every moment as your body continues to relax with each word. I hope you enjoy this sleep story and have a deep and restful sleep. Campfire Girls Part 6 Never mind, whispered Amy quickly, quite understanding her friend's feelings regarding Belle and her group. I'll ask them. It's my fault anyway. And I only meant it for a joke. Pretty poor joke, Amy, Jessie said with some sharpness. And I don't want you to borrow from them. I'll run back to the church. She started to leave the dainty shop. Sally Moon, who was right behind Belle, halted Jessie with a firm grasp on her sleeve. Don't run away just because we came in, Jess, she said. Oh, I'm coming right back, Jessie explained. Don't keep me. Where are you going, Jess? drawled another of the group. I've got to run back to the church to speak to Mother for a moment. Your mother's not there, broke in Belle. She was leaving when we came away. The committee's broken up and the parish house door is locked. Oh no, murmured Jessie, a great deal appalled. Don't I tell you yes? Snapped Belle. Don't you believe me? Of course I believe what you say, Belle, Jessie rejoined politely. I only said, oh no, because I was startled. What scared you? demanded Belle curiously. Why, uh, uh, I'm not scared. It is none of your business, Belle, put in Amy. Don't annoy her. Here, Jessie, I'll... The clerk who waited on them had come to the table and placed a punch ticket for the Sundays on it he evidently expected to be paid by the two girls the other four were noisily grouping themselves around another table bell said give nick your orders girls this is on me i want a banana royal nick hurry up the young fellow still lingered by the table where Jesse and Amy had sat. Belle turned around to stare at the two guilty-looking friends. What's the matter with you and Jess, Amy? Were you trying to slip out without paying Nick? I shouldn't wonder. Ah! <gasps> gasped Jessie, flushing and then paling. But Amy burst out laughing. It was a fact that Amy Drew often saw humor where her friend could not spy anything, in the least laughable. With the clerk waiting and these four girls, more than a little unfriendly, ready to make unkind remarks if they but knew the truth, what should she do? Jessie looked around wildly. Amy clung to a chair and laughed and laughed. Her friend desired greatly to have the floor of the new Melford Dainties shop open at her feet and swallow her. What is the matter with you, Amy Drew? You crazy? demanded Belle. "I, I, I, I... Amy could get no farther. She weaved back and forth, utterly hysterical. If you young ladies will pay me, please, stammered the clerk, wondering, I'd like to wait on these other customers. I want my banana royal, Nick, cried Belle. The other three girls gave their orders. The clerk looked from the laughing Amy to the trembling Jesse he was about to repeat his demand for payment and just then heaven sent an angel two in very truth at least so it seemed to Jesse Norwood dairy she almost squealed and bird we, we thought you were at Atlantic Highlands The two young fellows came hurrying into the shop. They had evidently seen the girls from outside. Derry grabbed his sister and sat her down at a table. He grinned widely, bowing to Belle and her crowd. Come on, Jesse, he commanded. No matter how many George Washington Sundays you kids have eaten, Kids, indeed! I like that! Exploded Amy. But her brother swept on, ignoring her objection. No matter how many you have eaten, there is always room for one more. You and Amy, Jessie, must have another Sunday on me. Dairy! exclaimed Jessie. I thought you and Bert went to his aunt's. And we came back. That is an awful place. There's an uncle, too. A second crop uncle. And both uncle and auntie are vegetarians or something. Maybe it's their religion. Anyway, they eat like horses, oats and barley and chopped straw. We were there for two meals. "'Shall we ever catch up on our regular rations, Bert?' "'I've my doubts,' said his friends. "'Say, Nick, bring me a plate of your most filling thing "'that is on your bill of fare.' "'In just a minute,' replied the clerk, "'hopping around the other table "'to have Belle and her friends repeat their orders.' Belle had immediately began preening when Barry and Bird came in. That the two college youths were so much older and that they merely considered Amy and Jessie kids made no difference to Belle. She really thought that she was quite grown up and that college men should be interested in her. We had just finished boys, Jessie managed to say in a low tone, We had not even paid for our Sundays. Derry and Bird just then caught sight of the punched check lying on the table, and they both reached for it. There was some little rivalry over who should pay the score, but Derry won. Leave it to me, he said cheerfully. Girls shouldn't be trusted with money anyway. Oh, Oh, gurgled Amy, choking with laughter again. What is the matter with you, sis? demanded her brother. Jessie forbade her friend to tell by a hard stare and a determined shake of her head. It was all right to have Derry pay the check. It was really a relief. But it did not seem to Jessie as though she could endure having the matter made an open joke of. The four settled about the little table, but the ring crowd was too near. Belle turned sideways in her chair even before they were served, and being at Derry's elbow, insisted upon talking to him. Jessie feared that Belle would overhear the comments of Bird and her friend, and she hurried the eating of her second Sunday. "'I must get home, Derry,' she explained. "'Mumsy has gone without me in her car and will be surprised not to find me there.' "'Sure,' agreed Bird quickly. "'We'll gobble and hobble. "'Can you tear yourself away, Derry?' he added with a grin." Amy's brother tried politely to turn away from Belle, but the latter caught him by the coat sleeve and held on. She smiled and shook her bobbed curls and altogether acted in a rather ridiculous way. Come on, Derry, Bird drawled, taking a hint from the girls. Sorry you are off your feed and can't finish your George Washington finest product. I'll eat it for you, if you had said so, and then we'll beat it." He reached casually for Derry's plate, but the latter would not yield it without a struggle. The incident, however, gave Derry a chance to break away from the insistent Bell. Derry had picked up both checks from the table. Bell smiled up at him and moved her check to the edge of her table as Derry rather grimly bade her good night. He refused to see that check, but strode over to the desk to pay the others. That the two young fellows had returned so much earlier than had been expected was a very fortunate thing, Jesse and Amy thought for their assistance was positively needed in the work of making ready for the 4th of July bazaar at the Norwood place, they declared. There were only three days in which to do everything. And believe me, groaned Bird before the first day was ended, we're doing everything. Talk about being in training for the scrub team. It will do you good, birdie, cooed Amy. You are getting awfully plump. You know you are. I feel it peeling off, he grumbled. Don't fear. No fellow will ever get too fat around you girls. Never were two such young Simon Legers before since the world began. But the four accomplished wonders. Of course, The committee and their assistants and some of the other young people came to help with the decorations. But the two girls and Amy's older brother and his friend set up the marquees and strung the Japanese lanterns, in each of which was a tiny electric light. No candle power fire traps for us, Jessie said, and then candles are always blowing out. About all the relaxation they had during the time until the eve of the 4th was in Jessie's room, listening to the radio concerts. Mr. Norwood brought out from the city a two-step amplifier and a horn, and they were attached to the instrument. The third of the month, with the help of the men on the Norwood Place, the tent or the radio concert was set up between the house and the driveway, and chairs were bought from the parish house to seat a hundred people. It was a good tent, and there were hangings which had been used in some church entertainment in the past to help make it soundproof. They strung through it a few electric bulbs, which would give light enough, and the lead wire from the aerials, well-grounded, was brought directly in from overhead and connected with the radio set. I hope that people will patronize the tent generously, Jesse said. We can give a show every hour while the crowd is here. What are you going to charge for admission, Amy asked. Mumsy says we ought to get a quarter, but ten cents, ten cents for children, grown folks a quarter, suggested Amy. The kids will keep coming back, but the grown folks will come only once. That is an idea, agreed Jessie. but what bothers me is the fact that there are only concerts at certain times. We ought to begin giving the shows early in the afternoon. Of course, the radio is just as wonderful when it brings weather reports and agricultural prices as when Toscanini sings or Volberg plays the violin." And she laughed. But... I've got it, cried her friend with sudden animation. Give lectures. What? You, Amy Drew, suggesting such a horrid thing? And who will give the lecture? Oh, this is a different sort of lecture. Tell a little story about the radio, what has already been done with it, and what is expected of it in the future. I believe you could do it nicely, Jess. That sort of lecture, I would stand for myself. I suppose somebody has got to attend to the radio and talk about it. I had not thought of that, agreed Jessie. I'll see what the committee say. But me lecture? I did not think of doing that, she proclaimed, in no little anxiety. When she had talked it over with Mumsy and Miss Seymour, however... Jesse took up the thought of the radio lecture quite seriously. Somebody must explain and manage the entertainment in the radio tent, and who better than Jesse? It is quite wonderful how much you young people have learned about radio. So much more than I had any idea, said the schoolteacher. Of course, you can write a little prose essay, Jessie, learn it by heart, and repeat it at each session in the tent, if you feel timid about giving an offhand talk on the subject. You can do it if you only think you can, Jessie, said her mother. I am sure I have a very smart daughter. Oh, now, Mumsy, if they should laugh at me... Don't give them a chance to laugh, dear. Make your talk so interesting and informative that they can't laugh. Thus encouraged, Jessie spent all the forenoon of the 4th shut up in her own room, making ready for the afternoon and evening. She had already made a careful schedule of the broadcasting done by all the stations within reach of her fine radio set and found that it was possible by tuning her instrument to the wavelengths of different stations to get something interesting into every hour from 2 o'clock on until 11 Naturally, some of the entertainments would be more interesting or amusing than others, but as new Melford people for the most part were as yet unfamiliar with radio, almost anything out of the air would seem curious and entertaining. Besides, Bird said in comment on this, for a good cause we are all ready and willing. Let me tell you, Mr. Smarty, said Amy, that Jessie's lecture is well worth the price of admission alone, never mind the radio entertainment. I'll come to hear it every time, agreed Bird. You can't scare me. The radio had been carefully tried out in the tent the evening before. The boys had got the market reports and the early baseball scores out of the air on 4th of July morning, before the bazaar opened. When Jessie came out after lunch to take charge of the radio tent, she felt that she was letter perfect in the talk she had arranged to introduce each session of the wireless entertainment. No admission was charged to the Norwood grounds, but several of the older boys had been instructed to keep an oversight on the entire place so that careless and possibly rough youngsters should do no harm. The boys and girls belonging to the congregation of Dr. Stanley's church were on hand as flower sellers, booth attendants, and waitresses. Ice creams and sherbets were served from the garage Sandwiches and cake from the house kitchen, where Mrs. Norwood's cook herself resided proudly over the goodies. In several booths were orangeade, lemonade, and other soft drinks. The fancy masks and costumes the girls and boys wore certainly were fetching. That the masks were the result of a joke on Chip's part made them nonetheless effective. Amy was flying about as busy as a bee. Derry and Bird were at the head of the police. Miss Seymour took tickets for the radio tent and after the first entertainment beginning at two o'clock, she complimented Jessie warmly on the success of her talk about the radio with which the girl had introduced the show. The lawns of the Norwood place began to be crowded before two o'clock. Cars were parked for several blocks in both directions. Special policemen had been sent out from town to patrol the vicinity. Dr. Stanley's smile as he walked about welcoming the guests expanded to an almost unbelievable breadth. There was quite a large crowd, and the Norwood place was comfortably filled. The goodies were bought, the sale of fancy goods added much to the treasury, and a bigger thing than any other source of income was the admission to the radio shows. The children were not the most interested part of the audience in the tent. From two o'clock until closing time, Jessie presided at eight shows. She sometimes faced almost the same audience twice. Not only did some of the children pay their way in more than once, but grown people did the same. Curiosity regarding radio science was rife. Dr. Stanley came more than once himself to listen, and the minister's boys wanted to take the radio set all apart between shows to see how it went. I bet we could build one our own selves, declared Bob Stanley. I bet ya," agreed Fred only it would cost a lot of money groaned the minister's oldest son you can do it for about ten dollars if you are ingenious said Jessie encouragingly gee whiz that's a lot of money said Fred the girl knew better than to suggest lending them or giving them the money but she told them all the helpful things she could about setting up the radio paraphernalia and rigging the wires. I guess Nell would help us, Bob remarked. She's pretty good, you know, for a girl. I like that, exclaimed Jessie. Bob Stanley grinned at her impishly. In the evening, when the electric lights were ablaze, the Norwood lawns became a pretty sight indeed. People came in cars from miles away. It was surprising how many came, it seemed, for the purpose of listening to the radio. That feature had been well advertised, and it came at a time when the popular curiosity was afire through reading so much about radio in the newspapers. Among the hundreds of cars parked nearby were those of several of the more prosperous farmers of the county. One ancient, bald headed, bewhiskered agriculturalist sat through three of the radio shows and commented freely upon this new wonder of the world. The telegraph was just in its infancy when I was born, he told Jesse. And then came the telephone, and these here automobiles and flying machines and wireless telegraph, and now this. Why, ma'am, this radio beats the world. It does plumb for sure. The surprise and the comments of the audience did not so much interest Jesse as the fact that the money taken in by the tent show would add vastly to the profit of the bazaar. You sure have beaten any other individual concession on the lot, Amy told her at the end of the evening. You know, Belle bragged that she was going to take in the most money at the orange aid stand because it was a hot night. But wait till we count up. I am sure you have beaten her with the radio tent, Jess. Jessie had not much personal desire to beat either Belle or any other worker for the bazaar, but she confessed to a hope that the radio show had helped largely to make up the deficit in church income for which the bazaar had been intended. Miss Seymour had added up after each show the amount taken in at the door of the tent. Before the lights were put out and the booths were dismantled, she was ready to announce to the committee the sum total of the radio tent's earnings. Goody, that will beat Belle sure as you live, Amy cried when she heard it and dragged Jessie away across the lawn to hear the report of the sum taken from the cash drawer under the orange aid counter. Groups of young people milled around the concession which served the delicious cooling drinks. Walk right up, ladies and gentlemen, and anybody else that's with you, and buy the last of the chilled nectar served by these masked goddesses. In other words, buy us out so we can all go home. It was Derry up on a stool, ballyhooing for the soft drink booth. Did you ever, gasped the younger sister. He is helping Belle. I am amazed at Derry. He is helping the church society, said Jessie composedly. But she could easily believe that Belle had deliberately entangled Derry in this thing. He never would have chosen to help Belle in closing out her supply of orange aid. There she stood behind her counter, scarcely helping wait on the trade herself, but aided by three of her most intimate girlfriends. Belle gave her attention to dairy. She seemed to consider it necessary to steady him upon the stool while he acted as a barker. Come away, sniffed Amy to Jessie. That brother of mine is as weak as water. But Jessie did not wholly believe that. She knew Derry's character pretty well, perhaps better than Amy did. He would be altogether too easygoing to refuse to help Belle, especially in a good cause. Belle was very shrewd, young as she was in the arts of gaining and holding the attention of young men. But Derry saw his sister coming and knew that Amy disapproved. He flushed and jumped down from the stool. Oh, Mr. Drew Darrington, cried Belle, you won't leave us. Then she too saw Amy and Jessie approaching. Oh, well, Belle sneered, If the children need you, I suppose you have to go. Bird, who stood by, developed a spasm of laughter when he saw Amy's expression. But Jessie got her friend away before there came any further explosion. Never you mind, muttered Amy. I know you've got her beaten with your radio show. You'll see. It proved to be true this prophecy of Amy's. The committee adding up the intake of the various booths reported that the radio tent had been by far the most profitable of any of the various money-making schemes. Belle and her friends had lingered at the Norwood veranda, however, to hear the report. It seemed that Belle had not achieved all that she had desired although with the restaurant department, her stand had won a splendid profit. She just thought of that wireless thing so as to make the rest of us look cheap, Belle was heard to say to her friends. I'll never break my back working for a church entertainment again if the Norwoods have anything to do with it. Unfortunately, Jessie heard this. It really spoiled the satisfaction she had taken in the fact that her idea and her radio set had made so much money for a good cause. She stole away from her friend and the other young people and went to bed rather tearful. The morning brought to Jess more contentment. When Mumsy told her how the ladies of the bazaar committee had praised Jessie's thoughtfulness and ingenuity in supplying the radio entertainment, she forgot Belle's jealousy and went cheerfully to work to help clear up the grounds and the house. Her radio set was moved back to her room and she restrung the wires and connected up the receiver without help from anybody. When Mr. Norwood came home that evening, both she and Mumsy noticed at once that he was looking serious and apparently much troubled. Perhaps if thought had not been given so entirely to the bazaar during the last few days, the lawyer's wife and daughter would before this have noticed his worryment of mind. Is it that Ellison case, Robert? Mrs. Norwood asked at the dinner table. It is the bane of my existence, declared the lawyer with exasperation. Those women are determined to obtain as much of the estate than they can. Their testimony, I believe, is false, but as the property of the deceased must be decided by verbal rather than written evidence the story those women tell and stick to bears weight your clients are likely to lose their share then his wife asked unless we can get to the truth i fear that neither of these women knows what the truth means ha <sighs> if we could find the one witness The one who was present when the old man dictated his will at the last? Well, can't you find her? Asked Mumsy, who had, it seemed, known something about the puzzling case before. Not a trace. The old man, Abel Ellison, died suddenly in Martha Poole's house. She and the other woman are cousins and were distantly related to Ellison. He had a shock or a stroke or something while he was calling on Mrs. Poole. It did not affect his brain at all. The physicians are sure of that. Their testimony is clear. But neither of them heard what the old man said to the lawyer that Mrs. Poole sent for. Mr. McCracken is a scaly practitioner. He has been bought over body and soul by the two women. The other woman, her name is Bothwell, has driven automobiles in races. She is a regular speed fiend, they tell me. Anyhow, they are all of a kind, the two women and McCracken. As Ellison had never made a will that anybody knows of, and this affidavit regarding his dictated wishes is the only instrument brought into court, surrogate is inclined to give that thing weight. Here comes in our missing witness, a young girl who worked for Mrs. Poole. She was examined by my chief clerk and admitted she heard all that was said in the room where Mr. Ellison died. Her testimony opposes several items which McCachran has written into the unsigned testament of the deceased. You see what we are up against when I tell you that the young girl has disappeared. The girl seems to have no relatives or friends, but I have my doubts about her having run away. I think she has been hidden away in some place by the two women or by the lawyer. Oh, daddy, exclaimed Jessie, who had been listening with interest. That is just like the girl I tried to tell you about the other night, little Henrietta's cousin. She was carried off by two women in an automobile. What do you think, Daddy? Could Bertha be the girl you are looking for? And that is the end of this episode. Good night. Sleep tight.